Welcome back. We're in a series called Family Values, where we're looking at the 12 uh, values of Family Church. Now, these values are important to us because they determine, as a family, what we put our focus and energy into. They're also things that set the culture of who we are. You could go to a church down the road. We've got brilliant churches all across Portsmouth. Same God, same Jesus, same gospel. But the church may be different because it sets its focus or its values on different things. And that's what I love about the Church of Jesus Christ. If we all did the same and we were all passionate about the same things, it wouldn't be as good as what it is when you have different people saying, we're focusing on this, we're focusing on that. So when we're going through our family values, we're going through the 12 things that if you're a part of family church in any of our congregations, physical, online, these are the things that make us tick, all right? Now, we've looked at three of them already, three key ones that fit nicely together. Uh, we looked at number one, we're Christ-centered, which means we're Christocentric. Um, Jesus is at the center of everything. That's what we mean by that. Jesus is at the center. He's not a bolt-on. He's not an add-on. He is the center of all things. <clears throat> Number two, we are commissioned. We're passionate about seeing people saved and made whole locally, nationally, and internationally through what we do, but also through ministries that we work with and support. And then last week, I heard Pastor, um, Pastor Stu, Pastor Sean, new habits there. Pastor Sean uh, did a phenomenal word when he said, we are disciples, we're followers of Jesus, we're not just converts. Now, we also want to be disciple makers. So we don't want to settle for conversion when we lifted our hand and said yes to Jesus. We want to become followers of Christ, help others to become followers of Christ. So we're disciples and we're disciple makers. So our next value, it almost follows on from those, and it's we are empowering. And the statement that we put with this one is we are empowering, we are now equipping disciples or we are equipping disciples to serve God and his purposes in all spheres of life. Now again, this one fits in nice with a progressive journey of what we've already spoken of. So we want to be a people who are seeing people reached and come into Jesus. Can you say amen? We're not here to hold the fort, we're to advance a kingdom, right? We want people reaching, uh, reached and coming to Jesus. Number two, we want to help people to move from a moment of conversion where they find Christ as saviour to a better experience of God, and that's being a follower and a disciple. And also, we want to see disciples empowered to serve God in the sphere of life that God's positioned them in. We don't want family church to be a people storage unit. All right? That's not our dream. If that's what you settle for, that's okay. But that's not what we want. We don't want Family Church to be a people storage unit, but rather a place where people are equipped, empowered, mobilized, and sent out. All right? You'll say, wow, there's no hidden agendas in Family Church. There's none. We'll tell you up front what our agenda is. We don't want to be a place where people come, sit, leave, and nothing changes. We want to see the power of the Holy Spirit equip and mobilize your life, okay? We believe that the primary purpose of church leadership should be committed to this, and we base that on Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, all right? Let me read these verses to you. And he himself, that's Jesus, gave gifts to the church. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, that's great. But we've got to read on to get its context. For the equipping of the saints, 
for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, that's us, till we all come to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ himself. Now, I love it. That's from the New King James Version. When you read the NIV, it says, the leadership in the church has been given to equip God's people for works of service. So your pastor, the evangelist, apostle, whatever that title may be, we know those things theologically as ascension gifts. We understand that the Bible speaks of the gifts of the Spirit. That's not these gifts. In Ephesians, it says, and Jesus gave certain gifts. He put certain anointings on certain people to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, you know. What we don't believe is that those titles were given for people to strut around and think they have a bee's knees. Those titles were given to recognise anointings or graces that God has placed on certain people, church leadership, and their role is to make sure that everybody else gets equipped to do God's business. Because church was never meant to be a place where you're too comfortably seated. It's not meant to be a people storage unit, but a place that you're challenged rather what God wants to do with your life. So we see that God's gifts are on certain leaders. The leadership of family church is there to equip the people of God. Now, I don't believe it's up to every um, person that may be carrying an ascension gift, a pastor, apostle, a prophet, to do all the work. That's a model in England that we've seen for many years, but it doesn't work. That model where you come to church, sit there, and the guy at the front does everything. That's out of English history. It's not out of the Bible. A biblical model is everyone in church needs to find the purpose of God for their life and be equipped by church leadership to be doing the things that God's called them to do, all right? Now, when we look at that word, works of, uh, works of service, uh, the, the leadership of the church is there for the equipping of the saints for works of service. That word, works of service, is a Greek word, and it means ergon, ergon, ergon. However you want to say it, it doesn't bother me, ergon. Portsmouth accent there, ergon. If you were speaking to a Greek, they go, French, they go. I don't know, I'm going to stop there before we get into any more trouble. But basically, this word means, it's really simple, to do business. To do business. So to be more specifically, the leadership of the church is there to equip the saints, that's you, to do God's business on the earth. Now, I love that because when... I think about us doing God's business on the earth, I'm reminded that that's what the Bible says Jesus came to do. In, in 1 John 3 verse 8, it says, and for this reason, the Son of God was known or made known, manifest, to destroy the works, ergon, of the enemy. So Jesus Christ came to earth to totally shut down the business of the devil. The business of the devil is kill, steal, and destroy. The business of Jesus is to bring life, hope, joy, wholeness, restoration. So when we say, yes, God, I want to be busy with the busyness of the kingdom, we actually realize we're shutting down another kingdom, 
but ruins people's lives. I love that. Jesus Christ was manifest to shut the devil down. <laughs> That's my translation version, if ever I write a translation. And for his purpose, Christ was revealed to shut the devil down. That works. We believe that God doesn't just want to save us, but also he has a purpose for every person, not just for those who may be church leaders. See, the grace of God or an ascension gift may be on selected people as Jesus chooses for the equipping of the saints, but every saint isn't just saved, God has a purpose for their life too. Do you believe that? Good. That's a good thing. Where do we read this? Again, in Ephesians chapter 2. We stay in Ephesians, we go to chapter 2. And it says, for, the great, for by the grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Salvation is a gift of God. It's not an achievement. It's not Christ and it's just Christ alone. It's not faith and it's faith in Jesus Christ produces a salvation that comes from a gift of God to the person that receives it. But then it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's no one that can say, I helped Jesus save me. No one. If you don't believe that, you need to come to Forge Bible School. We are having the wildest time at Forge Ministry School. I'm just finishing this week, 15 hours on your identity. And we've had an incredible journey as people are discovering who they are in Christ. Now, what we discover is that... We are God's workmanship, all right? Um, we don't boast that salvation comes from God. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. Not dead works. Dead works are when we try to do something to achieve that which is already done. The common one that I always use, and all the bold people forgive me, is a dead work is like a bold man shaving his head. You're spending a lot of energy to do something that's already present. When you try to do something to be saved, you're living in what's called a dead work, a pointless endeavor. But here, Paul speaks of good works. These are the things that we do not to be saved. We're not Jehovah's Witnesses. Can you say amen? amen. We don't do things to get saved. Good works are what we do after we're saved. When we understand how the Lord has so wonderfully saved us, good work should be the outflow of our life. We are his workmanship created in Christ for good works. So if you've not discovered good works and added that to your salvation, you're going to be a little bit frustrated in your Christianity because you were made for the purposes of God. You were made for his salvation, but also you were made to do God's business on the earth which God prepared beforehand that we should all walk in them. Now, to me, when I think of this, it's like an, a parallel with the first man, Adam. When we read in the book of Genesis, we read about God made man in his image, and we know that Adam and Eve were the first man and woman. Everyone finds their ancestry from those two. Now, whether you believe that man represents or Adam represents a singular man or humanity, it's not a problem with me. What I want you to understand that God made man in his image, breathed life into him, but then it doesn't say 
and then he put him on a hilltop to count daisies because Adam had been made in the image and the likeness of God. The image and the likeness of God was God is a purpose-driven God. Now, God made Adam for relationship first, but then positioned him to do his business in Eden. So Adam, you read about it yourself, tended the garden. He controlled the flocks. He had all authority over every animal, every growing thing, and every creeping thing. He wasn't going home at the end of the day, I hate my job. He was fulfilled in what he did because he'd been made in the image of God and carried the likeness of God. God is purpose-driven. If you can convince me that Adam was fulfilled sitting on the edge of a hill making daisy trains, humming hymns to himself, then you'll convince me that a new creation workmanship of God, which is a born-again believer, feels completely fulfilled in their Christianity, sitting in church doing nothing. We were created by God to know his purposes and be busy with the things he ordained for us to do before we were even born. Now, you've got to understand God had stuff for you to do before you were born. I don't believe that. Well, actually, the Bible teaches that um, existence precedes conception. Read Jeremiah. Before I was born, you knew me in the womb and you called me as a prophet. So before he was born, God had a plan for his life. Before you were born, God had a plan for your life. When we're born again, we're rejoined to God, but also then we're rejoined to God's plans for our lives. They're not arduous, they're not painful. They're things that make us feel we were made for this, you know. Now we want Family Church to be a place where people not only find a relationship with God, that's important to us, but also they discover the unique purposes that God has for them. So we don't want Family Church to be a people storage unit. We want it to be a place where people come to Christ, come back to Christ, but then they let us help them to discover the purposes of God for their lives so that they can be busy doing God's business on the earth. You still with me? All right, come on. Now, we believe also this isn't just a church thing. We're not saying that God's purposes for you is what happens in this building on Sunday morning. We're not saying that. We're saying God has purposes in your workplace. God has purposes in the places he sends you and the sphere of influence that he's given you. Every one of us have been given a sphere of influence. Now, we want to equip people. This is our heart. This is our agenda. This is one of our values. We want to be a church that equip people for ministry in the church, but also in the workplace or whatever sphere of influence God has positioned them in. That may mean we're equipping people to live a kingdom life in the world of the arts. It's a sphere of influence. In sport, it's a sphere of influence. I've had the privilege to work with a number of football players over the last few years, and I was conscious it wasn't about me bringing them to church. 
It was about me getting them to live full on for God in the world that God had put them in. Some did better than others. But that's God's agenda. Now, we want to be equipping people to lead in life. We want to be equipping people to live a kingdom life, which can be a very different life, especially in the workplace. In the workplace, there may be corruption, there may be cheating, there may be things happening that are not right. People are being treated in a way that's not right. We want to equip businessmen to go into the workplace and say, I'm going to live a kingdom life. The standard of how I do what I do is a different standard. So I want you to see, yes, we want you involved in church. Yes, we want you at the food bank. Yes, we want you at the setup team. Yes, we want you at the hosting team. Yes, we need you on Javalicious. Yes, we need you on the kids' church. Yes, we need you in the, in the, in the nursery. Yes, we need you at the youth on Friday night. I can, I've got a long list. So if you're sitting there going, well, I don't think there's anything for me to do. <laughs> Wrong. I dare you to ask Stuart and Sean. Dare you. There's something and a purpose for God in your life for what we do in church. But the purposes of God go beyond what we do in church to the life that God's called you in. Sometimes I think the worst thing that church did was found successful people in the business world, got them to leave the business world and come and work in the church. It's like God in the background going, duh. Do you know how much time I took putting them there? And now you've taken them from there and brought them to a place. Sometimes that's not God's plan. So we want to empower people for in the house of God, but also empower them for outside. So we want to be equipping people to serve God's house and God's people from the youngest to the oldest. Just now there probably would have been 120, 140 kids went out. That's awesome, isn't it? We haven't got enough kids workers. You say, oh, there you go. You just slapped it. Yeah, I did. Well, I don't care. Because I love the faithfulness of the ones we have. And I think, wouldn't it be a beautiful thing if we could increase the people serving on those teams so they could come in and enjoy the services as well? See, all of the teams in Family Church, they're ready for you to join. But equally, it's not just about what we do on a Sunday. It's about the life that you're living. We want to equip people to reach others and disciple people. You know our initiative, Soul Winner. I wrote the book, Soul Winner. We're doing these Soul Winner boot camps. Another one starts October the 20th. One of our heartbeats as a church is we don't want soul winning to come from the stage. We want it to come from you in the world that God's positioned you in. See, stage-centric evangelism, it's okay, but it really hasn't worked that well. What works well is when people know God and they introduce Jesus to their friends and family. In the same way, what if we were all disciple-makers? What if we weren't saying, oh, I've got to go to this room for discipleship on a Sunday morning? But all of us were saying, come on, let's let those who have found Christ through what we've said Let's help them to grow now. I tell you what, discipling someone else will grow you better than anything else. I've been teaching 13 hours, nearly 15 hours every morning in Forge. It was my idea. It sounded like a good idea when I said it. I said, let's start Forge by me speaking 15 hours on who you are in Christ. Yeah, middle of last week, I was like, 
I'm not sure about that now. That's, that's a lot of work. But the preparation of teaching the word for others, boy, did I feel strong in God this week. Because when you're discipling and leading others to know Christ more, man, it grows you. That's awesome. So we want to, according to the Bible, be helping people to grow in their faith. Ever so quickly, a couple more things. We want to be a place where the Holy Spirit empowers people because us empowering you is not enough. We believe that we're a spiritual people. And we believe Acts 1 says, you shall receive power. That word power means ability. It means a number of things. It means ability. You will receive power, ability when the Holy Spirit comes upon your life. Power always has a purpose. When you read the book of Acts chapter 1-8, it says, and you shall receive power and ability, and you will. You shall, and you will. We don't want to be a people that are just like power surges. More power, God. More power, God. God's saying, do something with it. Do something with it. We want to be people that are experiencing the power of God and seeing the power of God come through our lives as we minister to others. We want to be a place where people flourish and grow. We don't want the culture of our church to be a place where people just come and watch or get comfortably seated or over comfortably seated. We want your seats to be comfortable, but not that comfortable that you don't do anything. Rather, we want it to be a greenhouse where every member is a minister. Oh, let me introduce you to my minister. You're a minister. Let me introduce you to you. Oh, can you come and meet my minister? No, no, let me introduce you to you. You're a minister of God, and he has a purpose and an agenda for your life. Me and the other church leaders, we just want to do our very best equipping you, mobilizing you for that. Now, I know that this is countercultural to English church culture. I, I get that. I don't need an email to, to help me to understand that. I don't, just for those that were getting ready to type. When you look around as church is normal in a lot of what England is, there's a hidden message that goes out that says, all you need to do, come, sit, watch. The guy at the front does everything. What we're saying is that's not the culture of this house because that culture doesn't grow people. All right? We want to be people that say, let's find out what God's got for your life. Let's equip you. Let's get you into trouble. Let's send you out somewhere where you're like, Jesus, I need you. Let, come on, let's let you enjoy what we have to enjoy. But that's countercultural to a church that many of us have known in England that said, the expectation on your life is to sit and watch. We want to say the culture of family church is countercultural. We say we want you to discover a relationship with Jesus Christ that blows your world wide open. But then also we want to help you to discover the unique purposes and works of service that God's got for you. My final point, look at that, 12 o'clock, that was a miracle, wasn't it? Come on, all that information from me in 25 minutes, there's a miracle if you've ever seen one, right? But it's not over yet, there's still time, all right? Now this is my final point. We believe that this should be a matter of lead, not push. Lead, not push. 
Obviously, we can't and will never make people discover the purposes that God has for their life. But we will do everything to create an atmosphere that's conducive to people discovering not just Christ as Saviour, but the unique, bespoke purposes that he's got for you. The works of service that the Lord wants you to be busy with in the church and outside of the church. My final statement, I know I've said that three times, but you believed me and you stayed with me. But this is the last one because someone's coming behind me. All right, okay. Whenever you see the person appear on the keyboard, you can go, he's nearly done. <laughs> Unless it's me. Anyway, now this is it, ready? Why is this important? Look around at the state of the world. Why is this important? But we say, God, we don't want to be a room full of people singing songs. We want to be a people who are an army for you. Discovering your purposes. Doing your business on the earth. Why? Look around at the state of the world. It's time for the church, that's a people, not a building, to be busy with God's purposes. Taking food to those that need food. Taking the gospel to those that need the gospel. Helping people who are broken to get mended. Helping people who are weak to get strong. Taking the message of Jesus Christ into the strongholds of religion. Saying it's not about the law, it's about faith in Christ. Loving, caring, sharing. That's what Christianity is about for me. Oh, and I come to a building on Sunday morning for two hours. But this bit isn't as good as that bit. When we watch the news, this world is shutting down. Everything people put stability in is being shaken. Everything that people trusted in is being taken away. Oh, this is the moment for the church to leave the building. This is the moment for the church, that's you and me, to stand up and say, we've got a God who holds all the answers. We will love on you. We will minister on you. We will let God flow through our lives to bring wholeness to yours that's not the job of church leadership that's the calling of every follower of Christ so number four we are empowering did you like that one hey if you're here today I know we've got a few guests and some friends that have come in and I know you've joined us in the middle of our journey through the values of the church. I hope that was educational for you. But maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. You've never encountered Jesus. I'm not saying religion. Jesus. A relationship with Jesus Christ. That relationship is one prayer away. I want to lead us all in a prayer this morning. We do this every week. If you're visiting with us, we're not setting you up. We do this every week. 
Because every week we give an opportunity for people that maybe don't know Jesus to start a relationship with him. For people that knew Jesus and walked away to come back. Let's just pray this together. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. For taking my sin and the sinner I was to the cross so I could be born again and receive a brand new life. Jesus, you died for me. Thank you. Right now, I receive your gift of salvation. It's my every eyes closed, every head's bowed. If you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, maybe you've been away from God, you blew it for a few years. Hey, I did that. No one's judging you. The good thing is you're back. If you prayed that prayer for the first time or you're coming back to the Lord today, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave for me. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you to lift your hand. And all you're saying is, I meant that prayer. No one's looking at you. Every eye's shut, every head's bowed. This is the moment you press the button and God begins to do what he promised he would do. If you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer, you're uncertain if you've ever belonged to God and you want to leave this place today with perfect assurance. When I count to three, lift your hand. One. Two. Three, right now. Is there anyone anyone and you say I need to give my life to Jesus I need to give my life back to Jesus just going to wait a couple of moments we've had a lot of people respond in the last few weeks I think it's been like 20 people it's awesome but what about you is this morning for you just going to wait a couple of moments Father, I thank you for each and every person today that this hall is filled with people that love you. Father, I pray that each and every one of us would begin to hunger and get excited about your purposes for our life. That in this moment when the world is shaking, we would be your voice that brings life and hope. Amen, amen, amen.